Hello guys and the need aspirants gear up because we are coming again with a need session. So I mean of course I've lost touch with biology. I'm studying in a mass communication college but because of some popular request to teach ecology and human physiology and all that I think I should complete what I started right so but one thing you need to do is that you need to share this podcast everywhere with all of your friends and juniors and whoever like needs it right so let's dive straight into it yes first of all as you already know that it's in the it's the last unit of class 12 biology and if we've got four chapters okay the first one is organisms and population second one is ecosystem biodiversity and conservation and environmental issues one thing i'll say that you know i've lost touch with biology i've not studied it since september 2020 so yeah i can slack at a lot of places so please bear with me so first thing is that here it's about ramdeo mishra please take out your books so that you you know read along and yeah your exam is i guess uh, i guess august so yeah that too now ramdeo mishra is revered as a father of ecology in india this is important because last two years we saw that the need paper the which the nta made consisted of these small things that we always overlook which are not that important for biology but because the competition is like that okay so you cannot afford to ignore this thing so ramdeo mishra is revered as the father of ecology in india now what did he do okay so his research laid the foundation of understanding of tropical communities and their succession environmental responses and all that is written he formulated the first post graduate course in ecology in india okay so that's why he's called the father of ecology in india and then he got some um, he like due to his efforts because he kind of paved the way for the establishment of the ministry of environment and forest so he had a very strong voice now in this chapter uh, the chapter's name is 13 chapter page number i don't know which so the chapter's name is organisms and populations now here organisms is the basic unit of an ecosystem whereas population is the basic unit of evolution it's written in my book and i'm just reading out from there because i do not remember all that of course so this is the difference between the two words if you were wondering about this so now it's clear now okay now here one paragraph is given which is a very beautiful paragraph like our living world is facet fascinatingly diverse and amazingly complex and all that but it is not important for your exam point of view so let's turn to the next page where we've got okay something i've highlighted so ecology is a subject which studies the interactions among organisms and between the organism and its physical environment and the physical environment is also known as abiotic because it is not living okay so what is ecology it's a subject that deals with the interactions between the or like living things and also between the living and the non living things okay now ecology is bas- basically concerned with four levels of biological organization what are the four levels organisms populations communities and biomes okay so this is like a hierarchy like steps okay now 13.1 the first section of the chapter is organism and its environment the ecology at the organismic level is essentially physiological ecology okay and like uh, it it makes 
It tries to understand how different organisms are adapted to their environments in terms of not only survival but also reproduction. So if you're talking about one organs organism, okay, organ organismic level, okay, <laughs> you know I told you I lost touch. So it's also physiological ecology and it basically deals with reproduction because there's one organism, right? Now Hmm. Okay, so you may have learned in earlier classes how the rotation, okay, the Coriolis force and all that, uh, the tilt of its axis causes annual variations in the intensity and duration of temperature resulting in distinct seasons. You know, of course, you know how seasons are formed. Come on, you're in class 12, right? So these variations together with annual variation in precipitation. Now, one important thing, please use your highlighter, use your pencil, whatever you have and mark it. Precipitation is equal to snow plus rain. It's not just rain. So if this comes in your exam as an MCQ or fill in the blanks or whatever, you need to write both snow and rain. And they account for the formation of major biomes such as desert, rainforest and tundra. Okay, because of the variation, the variation in seasons plus the variation precipitation, leads to the formation of major biomes and this diagram in my book it's figure 13.1 i don't know about your book page number 220 in my book this diagram is very important because it's come many times like lot many times in the exams previous questions if you look at so please remember which thing of course you can use your mind there and see that okay uh, like the highest temperatures and the highest precipitation of course it has to be tropical forest but even if you don't have your mind there or you know because you have to do it very fast it is a very time constraint exam so you need to kind of learn this diagram mark it please it's important moving on on planet earth life exists not only in a few favorable habitats but even in extreme and harsh habitats like the examples are given of course this is like this is something to understand not to learn right now even our intestine is a unique habitat for hundreds of species of microbes you're very well versed you've read that chapter you know human health and disease i think yeah we'll have a podcast for that too don't worry now the key elements that lead to so much variation in physical and chemical conditions of different habitats what are the key elements okay so please learn it along with me come on first one is of course temperature then water light and soil these are the four things the physical chemical that means the abiotic not living components alone do not characterize the habitat of an organism completely the habitat also includes biotic components like the pathogens the parasites predators and competitors of the organism about which they interact constantly so the thing is that it's not just about the living things not just about the non-living things alone it's about their interaction the, the the composite amount of interaction they have with each other with the organism with other organisms and with the environment that makes it the that leads to the kind of variation that we see in different habitats now habitats okay now over a period of time the organism had through natural selection if you have studied that chapter evolution you know what natural selection is evolved adaptations to optimize its survival and reproduction in this environment okay so it's just like you know we when you go to a new place when you go to of course if our college is open like du is still closed right so when we go to a new place we we, we are not accustomed to the environment not accustomed to where the toilet is where the 
washing places where this is that is but then after a certain time after a period of two months or one month you get accustomed to the place you get accustomed to the people you know where the newspaper comes you know where to go you know the shortcuts you know everything right and you kind of optimize your survival in that place because for the first day maybe you have you take your snacks and eat it outside the principal's office because you don't know that's principal's office but then time again you realize that okay this is the place i don't have to do this right now this is the formal place and all that so like that in the same way organisms get accustomed okay and then accustomed to optimize its survival and reproduction because if you've read that chapter evolution you know natural selection reproduction survival all that okay now here the major biomes of india is given in diagram 13.2 look at the diagram the first one is the topic tropical rainforest second one is deciduous forest third one is desert and fourth one is sea coast you see there are some varying things like desert and tropical forest sea coast and deciduous forest so yeah that is what we talking about now <coughs> okay one important thing i think everyone had this doubt right when we studied it first time in the class what is a niche right so in literature we say that you know you need to find the niche of your life and we don't know what it is about in the same way in biology each organism has an invariably defined range of conditions that it can tolerate diversity in the resources it utilizes and a distinct functional role in the ecological system and all these together comprise its niche as we say in general terms like you know everybody has a certain purpose in their lives they need to fulfill the certain kind of fun they need to have a certain kind of people they need to have something like that okay so now every organism has a kind of condition that it can tolerate not every organism can fit in everywhere as we say that a penguin cannot survive in sahara desert whereas a camel cannot survive in the arctic or antarctic everybody has some certain level of god gifted talents or attributes that help them survive in a certain place in a certain condition plus this is one thing the kind of things that we can tolerate first thing second thing is diversity in the resources it utilizes of course if i gave wood to you what would you do you would like you would be like okay let me catch up let me grab a saw and i'll cut it or do something like that but if i give the same kind of wood to a woodpecker maybe he'll chisel it out and make it something different so yeah we all cannot utilize every resource we get in the same way if you are neat aspirant i give you a biology book you'll read if 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 somebody is uh, if if a ca is there or if mark zuckerberg is there if i give him a biology book maybe he won't be that interested because that is not a resource he can utilize if i give him the business book or something about technology he'll utilize it you see the difference and a distinct functional role of course if you're taking if you're tolerating the environment and utilizing the resources there you have to you have to have a functional role you have to give it back and that comprises your niche all these three things did anybody fall asleep are you all there hello 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 yes so now we start with the first section of the 13.1 okay that's funny now major abiotic factors okay so here we uh, like first i listed you the four factors and now we'll talk in detail because this is what ncert is all about and questions can come from here so mark you every line of ncert of ecology is important because straight questions like straight lines from ncert can come in the exam and then you'll be very regretful if you miss this 
बिकॉज एवरीबडी वुड बी नोइंग दैट बिकॉज इज एन सी आर यानी फिर मिस दैट इट्स ऑल ऑन यू ओके सो प्लीज बेहे मी एंड लेट्स मूव नॉट टेम्परेचर इज द मोस्ट इम्पॉर्टेंट इकोलॉजिकली रेलिवेंट एनवायरमेंट फैक्टर द एवरेज टेम्परेचर ऑन लैंड वेरी सीजनली ठीक है एवरेज टेम्परेचर ऑन लैंड वेरी सीजनली डिक्रीजेज प्रोग्रेसिवली फ्रॉम द इक्वेटर टू वॉट्स द पोल्स एंड फ्रॉम प्लेन्स टू द माउंटेन टॉप्स वॉट डज दिस मीन दिस मीन्स दैट एट द इक्वेटर एंड इन द प्लेन्स द टेम्परेचर इज द हाइएस्ट एंड एज वी गो टू वॉट्स द पोल्स और टू वॉट्स द माउंटेन टॉप्स द टेम्परेचर डिक्रीजेज प्रोग्रेसिवली लाइक नॉट एब्रॉपली नॉट एट वॉन्स इन स्लोली लाइक ग्रेजुअली ओके Now it ranges from sub-zero levels in polar areas to and high altitudes to more than fifty degrees Celsius in tropical deserts in summer. And of course, in India, you know how it is. Like in Delhi and stuff, it's it's forty plus degrees temperature even still. So this is like this, and the unique habitats such as okay, there's some very unique habitats which is not so much occupied, but yeah, life exists there too. Thermal springs and deep sea hypothermal. Vents where average temperature exceed hundred degrees Celsius. Mind you, this has come as question. Like people get confused. Was it hundred degrees Celsius or ten degrees Celsius? Okay, not ten, but hundred degrees Celsius or thousand or ten thousand, and then minus four, minus five actually. So don't do such things. No, yeah, and this example too can come. I'm telling you, every word of ecology is important. Like mango trees do not. and cannot grow in temperate countries like canada and germany do not use your geography just go with the biology learn it wrote it cram it doesn't matter but it'll come straight in the exam okay now snow leopards are not found in kerala forest and tuna fish are rarely caught beyond tropical latitudes in the ocean each line is important i'm telling you listen to this podcast thousand times a day okay and please share it with everyone because every line is important you just need to listen to the lines or read it read it thousand times okay significance of temperature to living organisms which when you realize that it affects the kinetics of enzymes and through it the metabolic activity and the physiological functions of the organism so you know why this temperature thing is important because as you read in those chapter biochemicals and all that enzymes are temperature dependent like they work at a particular temperature and then they don't work they degenerate and regenerate and all that happens and enzymes of course affect the metabolic activity so for the proper functional physiological physiology of a person of an organism temperature is of prime importance now examples okay there's one thing called eurythermal eurythermal means the kind of organisms who can tolerate and thrive in a wide range of temperatures whereas the organisms who are restricted to a narrow zone of temperatures are called stenothermal repeat with me ud is for wide range steno is for narrow range please these words you need to learn now the levels of thermal tolerance of different species determine to a large extent their geographical distribution of course because especially if you talk about fish okay talk about fish you see hot water fish and cold water fish and all that that the geography where they are found when like arctic and antarctic or where in a tropical areas whatever it all is dependent on the thermal tolerance like what temperature they can tolerate wide yuri narrow steno now this was the first factor over with it are you all there hope so okay moving on 
Water. Water is another important factor influencing the life of organisms. Life on Earth originated in water and is unsustainable without water. Of course, we cannot even imagine our lives without water because every single thing we day do in the throughout the day like is dependent on water in some way. Like even the jeans you're wearing, lot of water was wasted just to make that. Okay, and like of course without jeans we cannot survive, right? <laughs> okay, okay. How many of you are from the Uttarakhand place and all that trip jeans thing happened? Anybody? What What are your thoughts on that? Please. Uh, tell me message me i want to know what do you thinks do you do you do you agree with him okay now the availability of water is so limited in deserts that only special adaptations make it possible for organisms to live there the productivity and distribution of plants is also heavily dependent on water now one important thing it is important for your board exams too why water quality is important for aquatic organisms okay so now you'll write something like this for aquatic organisms the quality that is the ph the chemical composition how good the water is basically of water becomes important the salt concentration which is measured as salinity in parts per thousand you've heard of ppm parts per millions but here it is about parts per thousand okay is less than 5 in inland waters 30 to 35 in sea and more than 100 in hypersaline lagoons please write it in the corner of your ncrt somewhere that inland water more, less than 5 sea 30 to 35 hypersaline lagoons more than 100 it is important now as i told you uri means wide range sino means narrow range now some organisms are tolerant to a wide range of salinity they are called urihaline if you of course if red chemistry so halogens halogens means salt forming element something like that so haline the word comes from there from salt okay and the others which are restricted to a narrow range of salinity are called stenohaline stino means narrow many freshwater animals cannot live for long in sea water and vice versa because of the osmotic problems you've studied that chapter uh, in 11th i guess that plant uh, transport in plants okay there we studied about the uh, high what what was that okay iso high okay hyper concentrated and hypo concentrated and os iso something like that i i i, I forgot that but uh, i think osmotic osmosis you understand right now the next factor is now light light is not important for human beings do you think so please god we've st- we've we've been in our home since a year without a like of course we have sun in our terrace and balcony but but for plants it is very important because they make their food from it and that food feeds the animals plus leads to formation or production of lot of things so light is important okay now plants produce food through photosynthesis a process which is only possible when sunlight is available of course you know that i don't think i need to elaborate on this You've got a whole chapter there in class eleventh. Now many species of small plants, small plants like herbs and shrubs, growing in forests are adapted to photosynthesize optimally under very, very low light conditions because they are constantly overshadowed by tall canopy trees. Okay, as I told you that 
people get accustomed to places and that's how organisms organisms means plants animals everything okay so these organisms like the plants the small species the small size plants they get adapted to low levels of light and i think there was a word for this like they grow in shades but i forgot that of course so you have to check it yourself but that is not important the important thing is they get adapted because adaptation is the first law of biology you know of survival actually now many plants are also dependent on sunlight to meet their photoperiodic requirement for flowering okay the cues the flowering cues sunflower you see if you if you look at that like it blooms with the sun and all that now many animals too light is very important because they use diurnal diurnal means during the day nocturnal means during the night and seasonal variations in light intensity and duration as cues for timing their foraging reproductive and migratory activities foraging is to go find food okay so now light okay like take let's take you back 50 not 50 even let's take you back 500 years back okay there was no electricity i think there was not okay 5000 years back i think it's fine 5000 it's 2000 no whatever let's get you to some very old prehistoric time light was electricity was not there and we didn't have all these devices the clocks and everything telling us the time what people used to do they used to look at shadows of the sun all through the day and cons- like make it as a cue right okay this is the daytime this is the evening this is the afternoon sun is here and all that right so that was how life was and for a lot of organisms like the animals and the plants light is still a cue to go to work to go to reproduce and to go to migration now the availability of light on land is closely linked with that of temperature since the sun is the source of both you got it like light and temperature are kind of same because sun is the source of both but and this is about the land but deep into the ocean like more than 500 meters into the ocean the environment is dark and its inhabitants are not aware of and the inhabitants of the deep ocean are not even aware of the existence of a celestial source of energy called the sun now the question in ncert is what then is their source of energy as your teacher must have told you is the chemicals okay they have that chemotropic uh, chemosynthesis because they've got no photo and that's how they make their food chemotropic chemoautotrophic organism something like that now the spectral quality of solar radiation is also important okay it's not just about the sun it's about the various components and the various spectrum of the sun you've studied it in chemistry and physics i think now here is in biology too <laughs> okay the uv component of the spectrum is harmful to many organisms why not all the colors of the visible spectrum are available for marine marine plants living at different depths as you already know that red has got the highest wavelength right so that's how the the algae which is found in the deepest water like the last the o- the ocean bed the the sea floor the red algae would be formed there because red has got the most penetration it it has the highest wavelength and it reaches to the very end okay uh for a fact okay for a fact if you grow plants in the green color okay if you just give green color to plants they won't grow they won't photosynthesize because okay there's a logic called that 
वी आर वी आर ऑफ द कलर वी रेडिएट आउट लाइक इफ आई एम इफ आई एम लुकिंग टू यू एज ब्लू सो आई एम जस्ट गिविंग आउट ब्लू कलर एंड ऑल द अदर कलर्स आर एब्जॉर्ब इन मी सो दैट्स हाउ द प्लांट्स लुक ग्रीन बिकॉज they give out green they do not absorb it at all so if you grow them in green light they won't absorb the light and they won't photosynthesize using that light if you use blue color or red color they'll grow okay next next thing is soil it is dependent the soil the nature and properties of soil is dependent on the climate the weathering process where the soil is transported or sedimentary and how soil development occurred now various characteristics of the soil such as soil composition grain size and aggregation determine the percolation and water holding capacity of soils very important all these lines especially in a board exam why because what are the characteristics of the soil that determine the percolation and water holding capacity now you'll say like the soil composition the grain size and aggregation the nature and properties of soil depends on which things so on the climate the weathering process and whether it is transported or sedimentary and how the development occurred okay now there's some factors like ph mineral composition and topography which also determine to a large extent the vegetation in area of course what like all the plants all the vegetation grows in soil and the quality of soil of course affects the kind of vegetation that will grow in a place and how on what does the quality of soil depend you've got all these factors here okay now similarly in this was about terrestrial environment now in aquatic environment the sediment characteristics often determine the type of benthic animals that can thrive there sediment characteristics okay benthic means which live in the la- like in the ocean beds very deep into the ocean so the sediment ca- because you know that uh, sediments you know that it's in the ocean right the sedimentation one layer after another like coal is also i think a sediment maybe i'm wrong i don't know i don't remember all that but yeah it is now one important section is completed in this chapter it is a very like i this organism population was my favorite chapter in ecology you know because it's uh, the most fun chapter amongst all these now second section if you if if you're bored then please go have water have a break and then come back soon Okay so I hope we are back now responses to abiotic factors during the i think you must be expecting that during the course of millions of years of the existence many organisms or species would have evolved a relatively constant internal environment that permits all biological reactions and physiological functions to proceed with maximal efficiency and thus enhance the overall fitness fitness of the species what does this mean of course now if somebody has been living in delhi since last 7 days 7 years i mean sorry 7 days okay so you must be thinking that that person would not be so much accustomed to the place that person would not be so aware of where the best chicken biryani is where this happens where that happens but then after 7 years if the person be living for 7 years in delhi you what would you expect you'd expect that person would know each nook and corner of the city that person would know where the best chicken biryani are where the best uh, ice creams get sold and sold and you know which route to take to you know which is the shortest drive from here to there and which metro to take everything but what happens is 
what if that person is a very introvert or indoors person never goes out never knows the city he's just crapped in his own sub corner of his room and doesn't know anything you'll be shocked right that's with all organisms you must be thinking that you know millions of years over and a lot of species would have evolved a relatively constant environmental temperature that make them thrive in a place and that leads to the maximal fitness i'll tell you man man proposed god disposes okay whenever we think that we've got everything we are just fit here something some calamity fury of the nature something happens same way this constancy for example could be in terms of optimal temperature you must be thinking that organism would have developed the optimal temperature to survive in a particular place or the optimal osmotic concentration of body fluids and ideally then the organism should try to maintain the constancy of its environmental internal environment which is the process is called homeostasis despite varying external environmental conditions that tend to upset its homeostasis so you what would you expect like in an ideal condition that the organism would have developed a constant internal environment uh, that permits all biological reactions to proceed with maximal efficiency and then even if the external environment is varying or is changing that would disturb the kind of internal environment it has reached and this reaching of the constant environment in internal favorable environment is called homeostasis but no it is not like this why because there's an analogy okay suppose a person is able to perform his or her best when the temperature is 25 degrees celsius okay even when it is scorchingly hot or freezingly cold the person cannot perform to the best now it can be achieved at home or in the car while traveling at workplace by using uh, an air conditioner in summer and heater in winter and of course then his performance would always be maximal regardless of the weather around him now here the person's homeostasis is accomplished because he maintains that optimal kind of temperature that he needs to perform to his best but not through physiological but artificial means of course electricity heater ac everything is artificial his body is not doing that now what about the other living organism how do they cope up now there are possibilities okay this is a diagram on page number 13.3 and this is also exam like oriented question kind of you'll have to know the labelings you'll have to understand the concepts you know what is on its uh, internal level on the vertical line and vertical axis and external level on the horizontal and the conformers regulators partial regulators what are these let's talk in the next page turn on now regulators some organisms are able to maintain homeostasis by physiological means there are some organisms also which maintain this by behavior behavioral ways which organism lizards okay so lizards have this behavior thing going on now all birds and mammals and a very few low vertebrate and invertebrate species are indeed capable of such regulation which regulation two kinds of regulations are there thermoregulation osmoregulation thermo is for temperature osmo is for the osmotic body fluids evolutionary biologists believe that the success of mammals yeah mammals are successful we are all success and of course you if you are listening to it you are a human being if you are human being you are a mammal and if you are a mammal 
kudos to you like clap for yourselves because you are a success okay now is largely okay success of mammals is largely due to their ability to maintain a constant body temperature and thrive whether they live in antarctica or in the sahara desert we humans use now the mechanism used by most mammals to regulate their body temperature are similar to the ones that we humans use we maintain a constant body temperature of 37 degrees celsius in summer when outside temperature is more than the body temperature we sweat okay have you listened to sweat by zain malik like please go listen it's a it's a very hot song okay now the resulting evaporative cooling similar to what happens with a desert cooler in operation brings down the body temperature in winter when the temperature is much much lower than 37 degrees celsius we try to shiver okay we start to shiver a kind of exercise which produces heat and raises the body temperature plants on the other hand do not have such mechanisms to maintain internal temperatures but plants don't even need thermoregulation they just need osmoregulation and they do it very well of course you have that chapter in 11th uh, transport in plants one thing uh, one fact for you is that shivering is one of those exercises it's it's an involuntary function of the skeletal muscles like the skeletal muscles which ordinarily always perform the voluntary actions but here it is an involuntary functions done by the skeletal muscles okay now second thing is i think you're over with it the regulators are the things they regulate the internal uh, temperature and if the outside temperature changes they kind of adapt themselves to by sweating it out or by shivering or doing whatever second thing is conformers conformers okay 99% of animals and nearly all plants cannot maintain a constant internal environment and their body temperature changes with ambient temperature like when the temperature is cold they'll become cold when temperature is too hot they'll become too hot they do not have an internal regulation in them in aquatic animals the osmotic concentration of body fluids change with that of the ambient water concentration so they cannot even do osmoregulation now you must be thinking oh god why did like why 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 okay so the answer is as fancy as it may sound but buying an ac or putting up a heater requires a lot of capital like a lot of cash lot of money electricity pipes connections all the you know electricity bills you need to be rich to have an ac and in the same way thermoregulation is energetically expensive for money organs of course here they do not have the currency called cash or money or dollar but here the currency is energy it is very expensive and this is particularly true for small animals like shrews and hummingbirds as you know heat loss or heat gain is a function of surface area now small animals have a large surface area relative to their volume volume okay so they've got they got the larger the surface area more heat is released out okay or heat is gained but it is proportional to volume how much heat they can make their volume is small 
in small organisms the volume is small so they can make well they can produce very less heat but the surface area relative to the volume is large and so they can give out lot of heat so in the end it's it's very difficult they tend to lose body heat very fast when it is cold outside and then they have to expend much energy to generate body heat through metabolism because they've got very less volume and this is the main reason why very small animals are rarely found in polar bear polar regions you know polar bears seals everything is so huge huge there right because they've got small surface area ratio compared to their volume and that's why they don't give out so much heat and that's why they can survive in very cold areas got it that mammoth and all ice age fancier okay now some species have evolved the ability to regulate but only over a limited range of environmental conditions beyond which they simply conform now these are the most fun people they are called the partially the partial regulators what they do is till a limited range of environmental conditions they regulate they can maintain their own homeostasis and beyond which they simply conform best example camel okay if the stressful external conditions are localized or remain only for a short duration now the organism has two alternatives so what we talked about before is the kind of regulators conformers and partial regulators what do they do is they we talk about homeostasis and maintaining the own environment now if the problem is only localized just for some limited time temporary problem they don't have to develop a kind of well up a kind of certain kind of attributes what they can do is they can simply they can simply do two things which two things of course migrate or suspend now the organism migration is they can move temporarily from the stressful habitats to a more hospitable area and return when stressful period is over the simple thing if there's if there's in, in a class the teacher tells you to check the homework what do you do you just bunk and just skip that period and come back again danger is gone simple one more analogy is given in a book that is that a person moving from delhi to shimla for the duration of summer just to you know have that respite in the very cool very hot summers of delhi now many organisms especially the birds during winter undertake long distance migration to more hospitable areas every winter the famous kevla river national park of course hosts thousands of birds from siberia the siberian cranes yeah i've been to that place and I've, i'm very fortunate to actually have seen those siberian cranes there we went in april but there were some siberian cranes still there in kevla river national park it's in bharatpur rajasthan up rajasthan border okay so you must visit that place it's very beautiful now second alternative they have is suspend in bacteria fungi and lower plants various kinds of thick wall spores are formed which help them to survive unfavorable conditions okay so they kind of form okay another option first thing was you bunk that class when your copy was being checked when your homework was being checked you just skip that class second is you get into your shell okay you just get underground you just vanish from that place and when the class is over you come out simple it's like these germinate on availability of suitable environment in higher plants seeds and other vegetative reproductive structures serve as means to tide over periods of stress besides helping in dispersal they germinate to form new plants under favorable moisture and temperature conditions and they do so by reducing their metabolic activity and going into a state of dormancy seeds dormancy survival yes 
in animals the organisms if unable to migrate okay unable to migrate because they have got an option to migrate plants cannot even migrate they cannot move okay so they might avoid the uh, avoid the stress by escaping in time best example bears going into hyper hibernation during winters that long sleep okay i think a lot of you also go there but neat aspirants do not hibernate i know you you used to study so much right okay snails and lungfish go into estivation that is a summer sleep because to avoid summer related problems such as heat and desiccation desiccation means drying out under unfavorable conditions when a zoo plant plankton species in lakes and ponds enter a enter a diapause diapause is basically a stage of suspended development what does happen there in diapause there's no growth so the all the, all the energy is just used to metabolize no growth takes place that's how they survive okay without growing <laughs> okay that's funny now the third section is adaptation and after that we've got populations and after that we've got what do we have now okay it's very tiring to read something which i've left <laughs> but yeah it is fun kind of okay i hope you all are enjoying and please share this podcast everywhere okay wait for a second okay welcome back no adaptations some are able to respond to certain physiological adjustments while others do it behaviorally behaviorally like behavior behavior migrating temporarily to a less stressful habitat and all that what does adaptation mean i think you've gone through this questions throughout your school life since class 4 or something but now again it is there and you have to know it because then crt and crt is the bible do you still believe that i mean i'm over that phase <laughs> but yeah you need to believe it now adaptation is any attribute of the organism morphological physiological behavioral it is very difficult to pronounce that word seriously Now, <laughs> adaptation is any attribute of the organism that enables the organism to survive and reproduce in its habitat. In the absence of an external source of water, the kangaroo rat in North American desert is capable of meeting all its water requirements through its internal fat oxidation in which water is a byproduct, okay? It also has the ability to concentrate its urine so that the minimal amount of volume of water is used to remove excretory products learn it okay kangaroo rat in north american deserts internal fat oxidation and concentrates its urine many desert plants have a thick cuticle on their leaf surfaces and have their stomata arranged in deep pits like sunken stomata that we say to minimize water loss through transpiration now a special photosynthetic pathway the cam plants it had a full form i remember i and this photosynthesis chapter was there so that enable their stomata to remain closed during daytime some plants like opuntia opuntia is cactus i guess hmm. they have no leaves they are reduced to spines and the photosynthetic function is taken over by the flattened stems just to reduce transpiration to save water okay sunken stomata all that now mammals from colder climates generally have short okay now there are four things that you need to remember write it somewhere because i've written it like this there are five uh, like uh, you know rules four rules actually bloggers rule 
Bergman's rule, Allen's rule, and Wrench's rule. Actually, Jordan's rule also five. Just remember it like this: Glauber's rule deals with the pigmentation, how the pigmentation is proportional to temperature. Bergman deals with warm-blooded animals of colder area, colder area are of bigger size than those of warmer area. Allen's rule deals with the extremities of mammals of colder area are shorter than those of warmer area. Wrench's law deals with birds have narrow wings in colder area than compared to you know warmer area. Jordan's deals with fin size plus number of vertebra increase in a colder area. Now how to remember that? Okay, so I had a kind of trick. I hope you like it. If you don't, then please sorry. I mean, what can I do? Now gloggers, glogger has the kind of word glow in it, glow and pigmentation, something like this. I I kind of made it up. Okay, so gloggers deals with the pigmentation is proportional to temperature. Glow pigmentation, simple. Bergman's deals with how the warm-blooded animals of colder area are of bigger size than those of warmer area. Now Bergman. something like big okay so bigger size you have to know that the warmer blooded uh, animal warm blooded animal of colder area are bigger size bigger in size so bergman big okay allen extremity of mammals of colder area shorter than those of warmer area so here the example i i have is maybe if you are from akash or somewhere else you may get offended but then allen okay allen the the mascot of medical education pre medical education in india so they they always perform extremely they always produce extreme results like extremely good or extremely disastrous but whatever so allen extremities that's how i remembered and wrench now wrench is just uh, i don't know what i'm i mean i don't remember that but birds have narrow wings in colder area than compared to warmer area i don't know how to remember that Jordan is for fin size and number of vertebra increase in colder areas. Something I, I forgot that, but like you know, just bear with me. I've, uh, I just touched this book after September. Can you believe it? Okay. <laughs> Some organisms. So here you've got so many examples like Rotang, Pasnia, Manali, and stuff. Now altitude, altitude sickness. Okay, so I've been in a boarding school and I've studied in Missouri. I always have experienced this. For most of you who've not, uh, it's a kind of, kind of normal thing which happens to I think almost everybody. Okay, the symptoms include nausea, fatigue, and heart palpitations. When we go to a high altitude, our body doesn't get accustomed to it at once. Body reacts. Body kind of throws tantrums around. Okay. Palpitations means the heart beats very faster, okay? Very faster, faster or slower, like not normal beat. Why it is? Because at very high altitudes, the atmospheric pressure is very less, very low atmospheric pressure, and body does not get enough oxygen. You know, body blood pressure and all that things, no? So something like that. Gradually, you get acclimatized and stop experiencing altitude sickness. Yeah, I've studied there, and in the starting, it was very difficult for us. But then, body changed. How the body compensates? Now, that's the question. The body compensates low oxygen availability by increasing the RBC production. 
decreasing the binding affinity of hemoglobin and by increasing the breeding rate now three things RP, rbc production increase binding affinity of hemoglobin decrease breeding rate increase have you have you seen those himachali people or even even when i went there for the first time my cheeks grew red when i came back home everybody was like you've got red cheeks why was that because the number of rbcs in my body increase and rbc is red in color so my nails my hands my cheeks they started looking reddish everything is increased breeding rate is increased only the binding affinity of hemoglobin is decreased as you know that one rb uh, one hemoglobin i think binds to four oxygen four molecules of oxygen something like that so it decreases then it just binds to two or one or three molecules now many tribes live in high altitude of himalayas and they normally have a higher red blood cells that is called polycythemia okay and that's why their cheeks and everything appears red now because they've got adapted or acclimatized to that environment now hence all all physiological functions proceed optimally in a narrow temperature range because of the enzymes for humans it is 37 degrees celsius but there are microbes like archaebacteria that flourish in hot springs and deep sea hypodermal vents where temperature far exceed 100 degrees celsius now you must be thinking how is it possible how do the enzymes work there the enzyme that work there is tag polymerase i think this 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 word you've heard in that uh, molecular inheritance chapter or biochemistry chapter somewhere ha huh, right so this is the thing now many fish thrive in antarctic waters where the temperature is always below zero how do they manage this came in 2019 board exam cold hardening and of course it's not given in ncrt but thanks to my teacher like i said of course i did my coaching so there they taught us about cold hardening and the question came and i wrote it so mark it here that how do they manage they exhibit cold hardening what is cold hardening these fish they have write it write it yeah they have special proteins solutes glycerols in their body fluids which further lowers the freezing point of the body fluid preventing it from freezing and this is seen in penguins and antarctic fish so they've got special proteins and things in their body fluids which lowers the freezing point of the body fluid so that the body fluid doesn't freeze and they survive the blood still flows amazing isn't it yeah god is great now a large variety of marine invertebrates and fish live at great depths in the ocean where the pressure could be more than 100 times the normal atmospheric pressure that we experience how much we experience one one pascal okay i don't know uh like uh, okay how does it increase so i'll tell you 1 meter depth 1 pascal pressure increases and of course in chemistry we've read about one atmosphere changes to 1 pascal and all that so do the calculations please you guys okay now organisms living in such extreme environments show a fascinating array of biological biochemical adaptations write it write it again the biochemical adaptation shown by animals organisms living under so much pressure first they've got dorso ventrally flattened body why because as you know pressure is inversely proportional to area if they've got more area flattened body you know flat body they've got more area and the pressure on them is less 
okay now dear gills they have got ventral kyphotraumatic gills something like that then the pressure they've got they also have got pressure tolerating enzyme called baroreceptors you know barometer is it that measures pressure so baroreceptors next as i said in the first line of uh, regulators that behavioral uh, adaptation is shown by lizards so yeah this is here desert desert lizards lack the physiological ability that mammals have to deal with the high temperatures of their habitat but manage to keep their body temperature fairly constant by behavioral means what do you do simple what we all do <laughs> they bask in the sun and absorb heat when their body temperature drops down below the comfort zone but move into shade when the ambient temperature starts rising some species are capable of burrowing into the soil to hide and escape from the above ground heat so as you see when the temperature is low they bask in the sun when the temperature is high they move into shade like the simple practical thing to do they're very smart right so yeah this is it uh, next we start with the second section of the chapter that is population i hope you all are here organisms is over this is populations Okay so the next part of the chapter 13 organisms and populations we move on to populations okay first thing is population attributes so as you generally know that in nature we rarely find isolated single individuals of any species majority of live of them live in groups in a well defined geographical area share or compare compete for similar resources potentially interbreed and thus constitute a population potentially interbreed one confusion that we all had in class 12 was this population is equal to species like can they breed they can interbreed so here it is written that it's not important it's not vital that every organism or every individual in an orga, in a in a population can interbreed potentially interbreed may not may or may not okay so yeah now although the term interbreeding implies sexual reproduction A group of individuals resulting from even asexual reproduction is also generally considered a population for the purpose of ecological studies. You see that we've studied about a population of bacteria, something like that. Asexual reproduction. Now all the cormorants in a wetland, rats in an abandoned dwelling, teakwood trees in a forest tract and bacteria in a cultural in a culture plate. and lotus plants in a pond are examples of population as you said that bacteria they undergo even asexual sexual all kinds of reproduction but then here we just refer to them as population although an individual organism is the one that has to cope with a changed environment it is at the population level that natural selection operates as i told you unit of evolution is population okay so now population ecology is therefore an exam important area because it links ecology to population genetics and evolution now you must be wondering why population and why not an individual okay because a population has certain attributes whereas an orga- individual organism does not now which okay because i told you that the natural selection and evolution works on an on a population not on an individual because a individual may have births and death like one birth and one death okay but a population has birth rates and death rates and these rates refer to per capita birth 
birds and deaths so this rate here expressed a change in numbers you know with respect to members of the population so the change the increase or the decrease the example the simple example that's given in a book and it's very important is that if in a pond they have 20 lotus temples sorry 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 i'm really sorry i'm thinking about delhi and stuff okay if in a pond there are 20 lotus plants last year and through reproduction eight new plants are added taking the current population to 28 we calculate the birth rate as 8 by 20 that is 0.4 offspring per lotus per year now if four individuals in a laboratory population of 40 fruit flies died during a specified time interval like decrease say a week the death rate in the population during that period is 4 by 40 that is 0.1 individual per fruit fly per week so you need to have a certain defined time and the change by the original number that is your rate okay the per capita increase or decrease another attribute characteristic of a population is sex ratio of course one individual is either male or female it's about the sex okay genders can be non-binary of course i know but a population has a sex ratio that is number of uh, females by male something like that 60 percent of population are females 40 percent male a population at any given time is composed of individuals of different ages now ages are very important of course if you i think 2021 uh, we have that uh, what what's that called census I think 2021 is the year, right? So we'll have those population change and all that will come in a newspaper one day. We're just waiting for it, okay? So if the age distribution, that is per individuals of the given age or age group is plotted for the population, the resulting structure is called an age pyramid. For human population, the age pyramids, okay, this is the definition of the age pyramid. You need to, I think, it, you, I think you need to learn it for your, uh, for your dad, for your, for your board exam yeah for uh, human population the age pyramids generally show age distribution of males and females in a diagram now the shape of pyramids reflects growth status so there are three okay uh, 13.4 figure in a book first one is the expanding second one is stable and third one is declining write it write it there first one where it is growing or expanding is the triangular pyramid Second one, where it is stable, is the bell-shaped pyramid. Third one, where it is declining, is the urn-shaped, U-R-N, urn, the, that, yeah, that vessel. Why did I tell you these names? Because questions can come like this, the triangle, and you don't know the, like, of course, you can use a mind there, but if you don't know the exact thing, that'd be very risky, and you do not want to take any risk in it. Okay, so now, the size of population tells us about its status in habitat. Whatever ecological processes we wish to investigate in a population, be it the outcome of competition with another species, the impact of a predator or the effect of a pesticide application, we always evaluate them in terms of any change in the population size. The size can be as low as less than 10, as in the Siberian cranes at Bharatpur wetlands, or go into millions like Chlamydomonas in a pond. Population size technically called population density, designated as N. N is the population density, which is actually the population size, need not necessarily be measured in numbers. Now that's interesting, okay? Total population is generally the most appropriate measure of population density. In some cases, it is 
meaningless now you will be thinking how why why what yes yes okay the answer is in an area there are 200 parthenium plants you know parthenium is a weed useless but only a single huge banyan tree with a large canopy stating that the population density of banyan tree is low relative to that of parthenium but it amounts to underestimating the enormous role of banyan in that community and of course you know that quality over quantity that the same thing here so in such cases the percent cover of or biomass is a more meaningful measure of the population size total number is again not an easily adoptable measure if the population is huge and like impossible to count like what about a dense laboratory culture of bacteria in a petri dish what is the best measure to report its density so for certain ecological investigation there's no need to know the absolute population densities relative densities serve the purpose equally well now the number of fish caught per trap is good measure of the total population density of a lake of course you catch fish once and you see that okay this is in one trap i caught this much fish so this is a very high density fish area or not there so something like that is just ways to estimate because you cannot practically count each and every fish of the ocean right of the sea or whatever of the lake now we are mostly obliged to min, uh, to estimate population sizes indirectly without actually counting them and one more thing is the tiger the tiger census in our national parks and tiger reserves is often based on pug marks and fecal pellets yeah they count the pug marks and kind of make an idea that okay these many tigers are left something like this so it's all relative and not appropriate but there's no other way okay next we have is the population growth the size of a population for any species is not a static parameter of course we know that it keeps changing with time depending on various factors like good food availability predation pressure and adverse weather now whatever might be the ultimate reasons the density of a population in a given habitat during a given period fluctuates due to change in four basic processes now what are the four basic processes due to which the population density fluctuates first one is okay first one is natality then is mortality then is immigration then is emigration now natality and immigration contribute to an increase in population density whereas mortality and immigration like lead to a decrease what is natality means you know neonatal is word the is the word used for newborn so from there we get the word like birth natality is a number of births during a given period in a population that are added to the initial density like the change in number due to new births is natality mortality is a number of deaths in a population during a given period immigration is a number of individuals of the same species that have come into the habitat from elsewhere and emigration is a number of individuals who left the habitat and gone elsewhere during the period one confusion that everybody has here is the immigration emigration simple thing is the people who are coming in in start with i i n so they'll have immigration and exit starts with e and emigration something like that simple now there's one thing written in the book that you need to pay a lot of attention to page number 229 my book that is if n is the population density at time t then its density at time t plus 1 It's something like physics or chemistry or whatever you say is n t plus one is equal to n t plus bracket parenthesis whatever it is 
okay it's bracket b plus i minus d plus e here the nd is the original population density whereas b is the births i is the immigration minus the deaths and the emigration this is a formula you need to kind of learn it and know it and there can be some questions that you have to even solve on this it can come so yeah be prepared now population density will increase so it all is explained in this chapter for instance if a new habitat is just being colonized okay now under normal conditions births and deaths are two factors assuming importance only oh, sorry 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 i skipped a line okay uh yeah births in normal conditions births and deaths are the most important factors influencing population density the other two factors assuming importance only under special conditions which conditions like if a new habitat is just being colonized immigration may contribute more significantly to population growth than births rate yeah if a new do you get it you get it right okay now growth models so yeah okay this is one line given in my book and i always thought of having a kind of youtube channel or something and just roasting this book you know what's written it's it's written we can learn a lesson or two from nature on how to control population growth if you're not laughing out loud by right now you've got a very dry sense of humor seriously okay now the first thing is exponential growth resource availability is obviously essential for the unimpeded growth of a population unimpeded growth like growing and growing and growing without any constraint is it possible of course not ideally ideally ideal ideal doesn't exist when resources in the habitat are unlimited each species has the ability to realize fully its innate potential to grow in number innate inborn as darwin observed while developing his theory of natural selection then the population grows in an exponential or geometric fashion if in a population of size n the birth rates are represented as small b and death rates per capita of course as small d then the increase or decrease in n during a unit time period t will be you know that delta concept comes here dn by dt is equal to b minus d into n let b minus d is equal to r then you have to learn this dn by dt is equal to rn here the r in this equation is called so the r is called the intrinsic rate of natural increase please know this term because again it can come it is very foolish but it can come and to give you some idea about the magnitude of r values norway rat remember it speak with me norway rat norway rat 0.015 this is the value of r flower beetle 0.12 in 1981 the human population had 0.0205 okay something like this you need to remember all this now uh there's a there's a graph for to represent this exponential growth it is a j shaped curve and the formula is the exponential formula as we say log velocities nt is equal to no e to the power rt okay here the r is the intrinsic rate of natural increase e is the base of natural logarithms you know log and all that 2.30 whatever the value was i forgot any species growing exponentially under unlimited resource conditions can reach enormous population densities in a short time 
Darwin showed how even a slow growing animal like elephant you know elephant takes more than a year to uh, like that gestation period is i think 600 something days yeah so even that's why it said slow growing animal could reach enormous number in the absence of checks yeah yeah check population control okay there's an um, there's an example given of what does exponential mean with this story of a king and a minister on a chess game and stuff now yeah so it was about uh, like he said that what did he say he said that um, ha huh, he said that if he won he wanted only some wheat grains the quantity of which is to be calculated by placing on the chess board one grain in one grain in square one then two in square two then four in like then eight like you know exponentially so not think not think of a tiny paramecium starting with just one individual and through binary fission doubling in number every day and imagine what a mind boggling population size it would reach in 64 days but there's a condition what condition that food and space remains unlimited and of course this is very ideal it doesn't exist it is just hypothesis now one more thing that comes in the exam is the k selected organisms and the r selected speak with me come on k selected organisms are the organisms which have small number of large size offsprings whereas the r selected organisms have large number of small size offspring so humans are k selected because we generally give birth to one sometimes two or yeah triplets and all that exists but generally it's one so and whereas the bacteria and paramecium they give a large number of small size organisms that is r selected this was the exponential growth second thing is the logistic growth no population of any species in nature has at its disposal unlimited resources to permit exponential growth no population of any species in nature has at its disposal unlimited resources to permit exponential growth of course and this leads to competition between individuals for limited resources even like 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 the best example is neat so many less seeds so many people what do we do we compete right so yeah eventually the fittest i don't like this concept of course but yeah it is there in the book the fittest individual will survive and reproduce because reproductive fitness you know darwin was like that <laughs> let us call this limit as nature's carrying capacity this carrying capacity is represented by k the k selected organisms or the small number of large size organism like us so nature's carrying capacity is represented by k a population growing in a habitat with limited resources show initially a lag phase followed by phases of acceleration and deceleration and finally and a symptot a symptot when the population density reaches the carrying capacity remember in that exponential growth we had a graph where it was j shaped curve here we've got an sigmoid curve sigmoid means s shaped curve now this type of population growth the logistic growth is called wolhust pearl logistic growth and the formula is dn by dt is equal to rn bracket k minus n by k 
where k is the carrying capacity r is the same intrinsic rate of natural increase n in the is the population density now since resources for growth of most animal population are finite and become limiting sooner or later the logistic growth model is considered a more realistic one of course nothing is ideal ideal doesn't exist simple a symptom is the when the population density reaches the carrying capacity you know the climax as our teacher used to say i don't think that is the correct word for it but okay next part are you all there did you fall asleep hello 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 ladies gentlemen okay now the thing is life history variation populations evolve to maximize their reproductive fitness also called darwinian fitness that simply means that the high value of r r whereas r is the intrinsic rate of natural increase in the habitat in which they live now under okay so some organisms breed only once in their lifetime and example is pacific salmon fish uh, bamboo etc so these are called symparity because they breed just once in their lives and whereas a large number of small sized offsprings whereas like most birds and mammals breed many times in their lives okay second thing is uh, some produce a large number of small sized offsprings and they're called are selected species the examples being oysters pelagic fishes etc whereas a large number they produce a small number of large sized organism like birds and mammals and these are called case selected organisms now the thing is population interactions there is no such habitat and such a situation where it is inhabited just by single species it is not possible and impossible even a plant species which makes its own food cannot survive alone it needs soil microbes to break down the organic matter in soil and return the inorganic nutrients for absorption how will the plant manage pollination without an animal agent it is obvious that in nature animals plants and microbes do not and cannot live in isolation but interact in various ways to form a biological community even in minimal communities many interactive linkages exist although all may not be readily apparent now interspecific interactions arise from the interaction of population of two different species they could be beneficial detrimental or or neutral to one of the species or both interspecific interactions okay very important you know the meaning of beneficial detrimental neutral right so there is a table uh, 13.1 in my book when both the species get benefited it is called mutualism when both get negated like both are inversely benefit like they're not at all they are it's detrimental for both the species it's competition you see it is a competition haha <laughs> okay now if one is getting benefited while the other is getting um, getting the blow like not getting good is predation where one is getting benefited whereas the other is getting negatively affected is parasitism if one is getting positively benefited and other is nat- neutral like it's not getting any it's not affected at all is commensalism and if one is getting negatively affected but uh, 
whereas other the other person is also uh, sorry the other species is not getting affected at all is amensalism so it's also written in words you can have a look in both parasitism and tradition only one species benefits did i say something wrong did i say that in predation no i know i didn't know i didn't okay and interaction is detrimental to other species host and prey respectively now the interaction okay this is all is given now important important predation parasitism predation parasitism sorry parasitism para parasitism parasitism predation parasitism and commensalism share a common characteristic the interacting species live closely together they have to live together in predation parasitism and commensalism now predation what would happen to all the energy fixed by autotrophic organisms if the community has no animals to eat the plants what would happen just wonder the answer would be it would be transferred to microbes on decomposition when we think of predator and prey most probably it is the tiger and the deer that readily come to our mind of course but a sparrow eating any seed is no less a predator animals eating plants are characterized separately as herbivores they are in broad ecological context not very different from predators so do you get it like animals like a cow eating a plant is also a predator for the plant besides acting as conduits for energy transfer across trophic levels predators play other important roles like they keep prey populations under control they maintain ecological diversity when certain exotic species are introduced into geographical area they become invasive and start spreading fast because the invaded land does not have its natural predators an example is the prickly pear cactus introduced into australia in the early 1920s and it caused havoc by spreading rapidly into millions of hectares of rangeland finally the invasive invasive uh, cactus was brought under control only after a cactus feeding predator that is a cactobacillus which is a mott from its natural habitat was introduced into the country Biological control methods adopted in agricultural pest control are based on the ability of the predator to regulate prey population. Predators also help in maintaining species diversity in a community by reducing the intensity of competition among competing prey species. So predators help resolve the intraspecific competition, okay? Also predators help in maintaining specific species diversity in a community okay as we said predators help in reducing the intraspecific competition and also interspecific like by reducing the intensity okay now in the rocky intertidal communities of the american pacific coast the starfish pisaster is an important predator in a field experiment when all the starfish were removed from an enclosed intertidal area more than 10 species of invertebrates became extinct within a year because of interspecific competition now if a predator is too efficient and overexploits its prey then the prey might become extinct and following it the predator will also become extinct for lack of food this is the reason why predators 
in nature are prudent so you see nature is wise is well okay now prey species have evolved various defenses to lessen the impact of predation some species of insects and frogs are cryptically colored and camouflaged to avoid being detected easily by the predator some are poisonous and therefore avoided by the predators the monarch butterfly is highly distasteful to its predator because of the special chemical present in its body interestingly the butterfly acquires this chemical during its caterpillar stage by feeding on a poisonous weed so you know this cat this butterfly in its caterpillar stage knows that he has to feed on a particular poisonous weed so as to develop a distasteful taste for its predator you see how interesting is nature come on guys okay now for plants herbivores are the predators as we said nearly 25% of all insects are known to be phytophagous that is feeding on plant sap unlike animals the plants cannot run away from predators so they've developed an astonishing variety of morphological and chemical defenses against herbivores thorns acacia and cactus are the most important morphological means of defense many plants produce and store chemicals that makes the herbivores sick when they are eaten inhibit feeding or digestion disrupt its reproduction or even kill it the weed callotropis growing in abandoned fields have you seen that like it has it produces highly poisonous cardiac glycosides and that is why you never see any cattle or goats browsing on these plants now the question is what is the difference between browsing and grazing so the goat browses and the cattle graze what is the difference okay grazing means eating superficially whereas browsing means eating whole so a goat eats whole that's why it browses whereas the cattle they graze they just eat the superficial layer okay now a variety of chemical substances that we extract from plants on a commercial scale like nicotine caffeine phenine strike strychnine opium etc are produced by them actually as defense against grazers and browsers so that is interesting like unka unke liye banaya humne fayda uthaya wow okay second thing is competition when darwin spoke of the struggle for existence and survival of the fittest in nature he was convinced that interspecific competition is a potent force in organic evolution now this i think came in the exam or in some mock test and i did it wrong so i remember it the question can come as interspecific or intraspecific and you will be like okay it will be intraspecific but no it is interspecific it's about a species okay now he believed that competition generally occurs when closely related species compete for the same resources that are limiting because totally unrelated species could also compete but in like example is given in some shallow south american lakes visiting flamingos and resident fishes compete for the common food the zooplankton in the lake secondly resources need not be limiting for competition to occur now in interference competition the feeding efficacy of an species might be reduced due to the interfering and inhibitory presence of the reduce of the other species even if resources are abundant therefore competition is best defined as a process in which the fitness of one species is significantly lower in the presence of other species i think you're getting it right so now gauze and other experimental ecologists did uh, 
when resources are limited the competitively superior species will eventually eliminate the other species but evidence for such competitive exclusion occurring nature is not always conclusive strong and persuasive circumstantial evidence does exist however in some cases the abingdon tortoise in galapagos island became extinct within a decade after goats were introduced on the island apparently due to the greater browsing efficiency of the goats another evidence for the occurrence of competition in nature comes from what is called competitive release a species whose distribution is restricted to a common geographical area because of the presence of a competitively superior species is found to expand its distributional range dramatically when the competing species is experimentally removed and this is called a bottleneck effect connell's elegant field experiment shown that on the rocky sea coast of scotland the large the larger and competitively superior barnacle the balanus dominates the intertidal area and excludes the smaller barnacle the calab the catamelus from that zone in general herbivores and plants appear to be more adversely affected by competition than carnivores you know why because in that in a triangle in a trophic level where the least is the the plants then are the herbivores and the carnivores so the carnivores acquire the upper trophic level and they have more multiple food options than plants plus herbivores and they also have less predators comparatively so that is an answer okay now goss ex- no 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 okay i hope everyone is there are you there right bored bored or not you have to study guys i mean mbbs khun mangta hai khun de do apna okay gauze's competitive exclusion principle states that two closely related species competing for the same resources cannot coexist indefinitely and the competitively inferior one will be eliminated eventually now this may be true if resources are limiting but not otherwise more recent studies do not support such cross generalizations about competition while they do not rule out the occurrence of interspecific competition in nature they point out that species facing competition might evolve mechanisms that promote coexistence rather than exclusion and what one such mechanism is resource partitioning if two species compete for the same resource they could also avoid competition by choosing for instance different times for feeding or different foraging patterns the best example being mac arthur the five closely related species of warblers living on the same tree were able to avoid competition and coexist due to behavioral differences in their foraging activity and yeah, resource partitioning partitioning resource partitioning is very important it includes temporal plus spatial plus morphological partitioning next we've got is parasitism parasitism parasitic mode of life ensures free lodging and meals it is not surprising that parasitism has involved in so many taxonomic groups from plants to higher vertebrates because free lodging and food i mean what do you need more right many parasites have evolved to be host specific like they can parasitize only a specific species of host and in such a way that both host and a parasite tends to co-evolve that is if the host evolves special mechanisms for rejecting or resisting the parasite the parasite has to evolve mechanisms to counteract and neutralize them in order to be successful with the same host species 
Now, parasites evolve special adaptations such as loss of unnecessary sense organs because they just have to live in a body, right? Presence of adhesive organs or suckers to cling to the host. Loss of digestive system and high reproductive capacity. The life cycles of parasites are often complex involving one or two intermediate hosts or vectors to facilitate parasitation of its primary host. You get it? The human liver fluke, which is a nematode, nematode, sorry, <laughs> nematode, depends on two intermediate hosts, that is a snail and a fish to complete its cycle. The malarial, okay, so nematode, yeah, two intermediate hosts, main is human. The, mal- the malarial parasites needs a vector, that is the mosquito, mosquito to spread to other hosts. Now, majority, mind you, not all, only a majority of the parasites harm the host. They may reduce the survival growth and reproduction of the host and reduce its population density. They might render the host most vulnerable to predation by making it physically weak. But do you believe that an ideal parasite should be able to thrive within the host without harming it? Uh, that's your take. And the harmless parasites include Antamoeba, the gingivitis, and the E. coli in the intestine. You know. So now parasites that feed on the external. We're talking just about parasites right here, okay? So parasites that feed on the external surface of the host organisms are called ectoparasites. Ecto outside. Now the examples being lice on humans, ticks on dogs, and main marine fish are infested with ectoparasites copepods. Cascuta, a parasitic plant that is commonly found growing on hedge plants, has lost its chlorophyll and leaves in the course of evolution because it doesn't even need it. You know, it's getting free food, free lodging. <laughs> okay, from Emerbal, I guess. It derives its nutrition from the host plant it parasitizes. The female mosquito is not considered a parasite. Like it's called a periodic parasite. Do you know why? Why a female mosquito is called a periodic parasite? Because only when it undergoes sexual reproduction, then only it it needs it feeds on our blood. Otherwise, it is phytophagus. Shocking, isn't it? And the males are phytophagus. Okay. Now. Endoparasites are those that live inside the body at different sites like liver, kidney, lungs, RBC, whatever. The life cycles of endoparasites are more complex because of the extreme specialization. Their morphological and anatomical features are greatly simplified while emphasizing their reproductive potential. Now, brood parasitism in plants is a fascinating example of parasitism in which the parasitic bird lays its eggs in the nest of its host and lets the host incubate them. The eggs of the parasitic bird have evolved to resemble the host egg in size and color to reduce the chances of host birds detecting the foreign eggs and ejecting them from the nest. The examples be cuckoo that is a coel and the crow in your neighborhood. You know the story right? The, the coel goes in the crow's nest and puts its eggs there so that all the care is done by the crow and the breeding season is from spring to summer because this is a long day time okay next is commensalism commensalism is the interaction in which one species benefits and the other is neutral 
Example is an orchid growing as an epiphyte on a mango branch and the barnacles growing on the back of a whale. In this case, in the first case, orchid growing on epiphyte like a mango branch. The mango branch and in second example, the barnacles growing on the back of a whale. The whale. The mango tree and the whale do not, they are neutral, like they do not get benefited nor they are adversely affected. Other example is the cattle egret and grazing cattle. Like you must have seen it, right? In rural farmed areas. The egrets always forage close to where the cattle are grazing because the egret because the cattle as they move they store up and flush out insects from the vegetation. That otherwise might be difficult for the egrets to find. So what they do, they go close and they catch the insects. So here the cattle doesn't like he doesn't give he or she doesn't give a damn, like they are just going away starting up but the uh, egrets they get benefited so that is commensalism now another example is the interaction between a sea anemone uh, that is stinging tentacles and a clownfish that lives amongst them the fish get protection from predators which shy away from the stinging tentacles the anemone does not appear to derive any benefit by hosting the clownfish now now the next thing is uh, the mutualism okay both get benefited lichens intimate mutualistic relationship between a fungus and a photosynthesizing algae similarly the mycorrhiza are associations between fungi and the roots of higher plants the fungi help the plants in absorption of essential nutrients from the soil while the plants in turn provide the fungi with energy yielding carbohydrates the plants need the help of animals for pollinating their flowers and dispersing the seeds animals obviously have to be paid fees for the services that plants expect from them plants offer rewards or fees in the form of pollen and nectar for pollinators and juicy and nutritious fruits for seed dispersers but the mutuality beneficial system should also be safeguarded against cheaters now cheaters cheats are the animals that try to steal nectar without aiding in pollination now plant animal interactions often involve coevolution of the mutualist because that's how like if the plant develops a different kind of pollen the animal also needs to evolve itself to you know help in that kind of pollination because they are dependent on each other in many examples or uh, in many species of fig trees there's a tight one to one relationship with the pollinator species of wasp given fig species can be pollinated only by partner wasp species and no other species like totally dependent okay the female wasp uses the fruit not only as a oviposition that is egg laying site but also uses the developing seeds within the fruit for nourishing its larva the wasp pollinates the fig inflorescence while searching for suitable egg laying sites in return for this favor of pollination the fig offers the wasp some of the developing seeds as food for the developing wasp larva now orchids show a bewildering variety in this case like i was like it is to attract the right pollinator and ensure guaranteed pollination the mediterranean orchid of pyrus employs sexual deceit 
to get pollination done by a species of bee i mean you see uh, one petal of its plant uh, its flower bears an uncanny resemblance to the female of the bee in size color and markings the male bee is attracted to what it perceives as a female pseudo copulates with the flower and during that process is dusted with pollen from the flower when the same bee pseudo copulates with another flower it transfers pollen to it and thus pollinates a flower i mean you see how coevolution operates if the female bee's color patterns change even slightly for any reason during evolution pollination success will be reduced unless the orchid flower coevolves to maintain the resemblance of its petal to the female bee now another example is the termites and trichonympha you know in termites there is a thing called trichonympha it is the thing that actually digests the cellulose so this cold parting was there one thing is uh, a sedentary eminem this has a very big confusion fan base you know <laughs> we always confused about this a sedentary eminem gets attached to the shell lining of hermit crab now you'd ask what is this association so basically it's symbiosis if asked if there's an option called symbiosis do it then the thing is commensalism otherwise it's mutualism and then it's proto cooperation so all these things happen the best option would be symbiosis because it will include everything otherwise it's commensalism then it's mutualism and then it's proto cooperation sedentary eminem gets attached to like shell lining of hermit crab i think the chapter is over here and i think you all need to learn all these data which i specifically emphasized on all the diagrams all the things and yeah like i mean i i i opened my ncrt class 12 book after september and it feels such a trip down the memory lane so much has happened in these book like so many dabs of tears <laughs> when i didn't get the marks i wanted but yeah right now i'm fine in my life wherever i am and please share this podcast with all of your friends all the juniors everybody who needs it because that means a lot to me thank you very much guys thanks for bearing with me thank you